All right. Let's uh, let's just take a let's just take a minute and share a little bit around the room. What what were the things that we talked about last week that are just kind of resonating with you that you're hanging on to, that you're putting in your pocket for later? What are some of those things? Less. Yeah. Okay. I worked in Jackson State Prison for mm-hmm. two weeks, okay? And I fear more of being put in prison than I do with the fear of God. Mm-hmm. If if God takes me out of this world because of Christ, what he's done for me and my faith, and I hope I'm ready at that time, you know, will be too. Uh, but that that is not like, that's not a fear of mine mm-hmm. in a way. I mean death is you know, I, I've seen it in family, seen it Yeah. So, <laughs> no, no, I appreciate it. I think you're, you're not the only person, Les, who's mentioned sort of how do we understand fear, right, to fear God. Uh, is it a holy reverence? Uh, yes. Right? It's, it's not not a holy reverence. It, it is a holy reverence. But we also have to wrestle with what Jesus says, right? Um, you know, lots of you fear what uh, people will do to the body, but rather you should fear the one who can cast the soul in hell. The word there, Greek word phobeo, is to fear. It's not reverence, right? It's the same. It's the same. Uh, it's the same word that angels use when they arrive. Do not phobeo, right? So when angels arrive and people are shaking in their boots, there is an honest fear. Same word. So. I'm with you, like there is a holy reverence, but I also have to wrestle with what Jesus is saying. <laughs> Wouldn't we all, I'd be shaking right out of my boots, Les, I think, if I'm honest, right? So it is, it is a challenge. I think, I think those of us, uh, it, it's, it is one thing to be, to be um, confident in the work of Christ for me. Right? That his work on a cross and in an empty tomb, secures my salvation and my place with him into eternity. I'm confident of those things. But I also simultaneously have to wrestle with the kinds of things that Jesus says, say, in the Sermon on the Mount, which is after grace, by the way, Uh, when he says, uh, surely you've heard it said before uh, that you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, if you look at a person lustfully, you're there. You've heard it said that you should not be angry or kill your brother, but if you're angry in your heart, you're there. Uh, I've got some anger in my life at times. I've got some lust in my life at times. Uh, and that's on the other side of grace, but it's true. And if I'm not, if I'm not paying attention to what those things are doing to form me, then it should elicit fear. 
for God is judge, right? So I, I'm, I'm saying this less because I think it's a really good wrestle for us, and I think historically we've taught holy reverence, uh, and that I don't think it's not holy reverence, uh, but I, I, I can't get around the way Jesus uses the word. Uh, you can give it up, okay, and go on your own way. Correct. Yeah, as Lutherans, we don't believe that once you're saved, you're always saved. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can easily walk away from your faith. Yeah. So, so I'm just clarifying, I think. You know, so John 3.16 says, you know, if you, you know, if you believe that Jesus died on the cross, you are saved. So yeah. I believe, so I know that when I pass, I will go to heaven, but yet, I want to say that based on that verse, that I'm going to heaven. So, when so where is that here? So, so I think that, um, I'm going to uh, try to paint this a little bit more broadly. Um, again, I, I think it's great to have confidence in Christ's work for us. I'm, I'm confident of what he did for me. I'm confident of what he's done for you, right? I would say that I think in the American Christian church, we don't take sin seriously. Or maybe I should say this way, we don't take it seriously enough. Uh, Down throughout the ages, uh, it's been taken more seriously than we take it now. Some of that, I think, this is just my opinion, right? So this is not truth, this is just Pastor Brian thinking about culture, but uh, we've we've made a Jesus... Uh, over time, um, that is only love and not holy. So we talked, right? Pastor Adam preached last week that God is holy. And his holiness has an intolerance to sin. And his actions of a holy God is wrath and judgment. Now, we, we in the American church, uh, maybe even in the West... Uh, we, we have sort of consciously ignored that reality of who God is. And we've sat in his love, which he is. And he has a deep love for us. So I, I think part of, uh, again, part of what, to appreciate Luther, of course, when he's talking about fear, or when the biblical writers are talking about fear, they, they are not speaking like 21st century Western Christians. Right. Right. Our our conviction to God should be that I'm going to do my best, knowing I'm still a sinner. Yep. I'm going to do my best to be different. Yep. And we're going to get to this in just a second, actually. Yeah, Lloyd. Yeah. Comes in the play, doesn't it? Fear. Wilson 
Well, I think, again, if I'm going to take the Proverbs writer, and I'm just going to take the first commandment, right? Again, I'm, I'm convinced that in the Western church, we, we don't take sin seriously enough, and I, and I don't think we reflect probably uh, enough to really think, how are we being formed by things other than Jesus? Uh, we, we don't reflect, I think, often enough, probably, that we think, what is our heart, uh, what has the affections of our heart? And I think those reflections, uh, when God leads us to those reflections, uh, leads us, and we're going to talk about this here in just a second, um, those reflections should lead us into the hands of grace, not into the hands of judgment, which is why fear is the beginning of wisdom. Yeah. All right, what else? What else from last week? Anything else? Yep. I think, uh, yes, on one level, we're immune to what it is we see a lot of. And secondly, Yes. Yes. We're, we're going to come to it, because I think, I think all of this conversation, interestingly, is going to lead us into what I think is, uh, I think, a really good practice to begin, that lots of us probably aren't doing, uh, but probably should do. Uh, but to do that, let's do this. I'd love to look at Psalm 139 first. <clears throat> uh, so Luther... Luther and his large catechism as he's unpacking this commandment and what it means to live, right, with a heart that is fully attuned to the Lord, uh, Luther mentions that part of the practice, right, part of the practice of Christians, of those who are trying to follow Jesus, the part of the practice of those who are conforming, are being conformed to the image of Jesus, uh, Luther says you should search and examine your own heart thoroughly, and you will discover whether or not it clings to God alone. So Luther's practice in the large catechism, as we're trying to unpack this, is saying you should search your heart thoroughly, and I'm going to insert my own language here, regularly. 
and you'll discover whether or not it clings to God alone. And so I want to look at Psalm 139, because Psalm 139 is a, it's a beautiful text, beautiful psalm, that for much of my life I think I misunderstood. So I'm going to try, to try to bring us to where I think the psalmist is actually leading us. So I'm going to look right at verse 1. I'm going to read 1 through 7, and then we're going to jump to 23 and 24, not because the middle's bad. It's quite good. Uh, it's really just a time issue, right? So uh, verses 1 through 7, and then we'll jump to 23, 24. The psalmist writes, O Lord... You have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. And you hem me in behind and before. And you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, and I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? So search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there's any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So Psalm of David So this is King David. King David, of course, Goliath fame, but also of Bathsheba fame. Both instances. You know, when I I get to verse 7, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? I think think for so long uh, in my own spiritual journey, this was like God is creeper. Right, there was a song when I was growing up by John Waite, where the, the refrain of which was, I'll be watching you, you know, and I think like, that's creepy, right? <laughs> right, like it's <laughs> awkward. We'll go to the Orthodox Church for all prayers for good things in the restroom. Um, so, so for so long, I, I just felt like, again, this is God watching and waiting for us to jack it up, right? Like just watching and waiting for you to sort of paint outside the lines. This is God watching and waiting for you just to misstep. But actually, I think for David, this is a wonderful comfort, right? He's proclaiming that no matter where I wander, you are before and behind me. You hem me in. Even even as I wander, let's say, like a prodigal, and wander away, spend my inheritance, no matter where I go, I can't flee from your spirit. I think it's it's a wonderful invitation to see the active presence of God in the everyday ordinary of our world, right? No matter where we go, God is with us. And that could be, I'm not going to lie, it could be creepy depending on what you're thinking. But I think for David, actually, it's this beautiful invitation, this beautiful grace, a man who 
as the scripture says, has a heart that seeks after God, a man who, in obedience, slays Goliath, and yet in sin, commits adultery with Bathsheba. And in, somehow in the middle of all of that life, he can continue to say that, that you are with me. So as one who seeks after the heart of God, then David is saying, I need you to search me, try me, and lead me right, in the way everlasting. I actually want to walk in your ways. And since you're with me wherever I go, uh, lead it. So I want to I kind of lead us into what I think is probably uh, perhaps a new kind of prayer for lots of us. Uh, called the prayer of examine. And this is, I, I think, a good practice for those of us who are endeavoring to live out the first commandment. Right? The prayer of examine is a prayer, a, a mode of prayer that has been around, uh, quite honestly, for centuries. This is not, uh, this is not new. Uh, and I want to be honest, I, I think, um, you know, in my, my own journey with prayer, uh, I've never thought much about the modes of prayer or the kinds of prayer, right? I've thought about the Lord's Prayer, uh, that Jesus gave us. I'm going to hold on to that. And then, you know, just asking God for things. Like, I just talk to him. Mm-hmm. Kind of simple prayer, if you will. Uh, but, but there are all of these ways of praying that have been passed down through the millennia. Right? The church has experienced over time that unfortunately, I think sometimes in the West we've lost. And so I, I want to just settle again on this practice of prayer called the prayer of examine. Now, if anybody, uh, if anybody wants to dive deeper into this than what I'm going to give you, uh, I'm going to make you a book recommendation, or you can borrow it off my shelf as well. It's a book called Prayer. You're welcome. Uh, and it's, uh, it's by a man named Richard Foster. Uh, Richard Foster is considered probably the expert, contemporary expert on all things spiritual disciplines. So think prayer, think fasting, silence, solitude, confession, worship, all these kind of ancient practices of the church. He's probably the the modern day expert. And this book is entirely about prayer and the modes of prayer. Uh, and what I love about this book, from my perspective, is it's, again, a beautiful invitation to dip your toes into something that you probably don't do regularly. Another way to grow. What I also appreciate about this is there are places in this book where he says, hey, if you're a novice to prayer, don't try this one. Right? It's just really clear. Like you, you should pray some other things first before you try this kind of prayer. So wonderful text, and much of what I'm going to give you today comes out of this text Uh, by Richard Foster. So the prayer of examine, uh, the word examine actually comes from Latin, as we refer to it in this text, and it refers to the tongue, uh, specifically the weight indicator on a balance scale. So the weight indicator is called the tongue, right, of a balance scale. So it conveys the idea of this, right, if I'm underlining it, this is what I'm underlining, an accurate assessment of the true situation. Right, an accurate assessment of the true situation. And so the prayer of examine uh, is really two parts, or maybe two sides of a coin, if you want. 
The first one is called the examine of consciousness. What does that mean? Well, the examine of consciousness is through which we discover how God has been present to us throughout the day and how it is we have responded to this. In other words, it's a, it's a reflection on how I've seen God at work outside of me. Where have I seen God at work in the course of my day? Kids are really good at this. We change the language to God sightings. Right? Where'd you see God at work today? Here's a list of 95 things. 95, I guess, for Luther. I don't know, 95. Just a list of things where I've seen God at work. And so the prayer of examine, the opportunity to reflect on a day and say, where, God, have you been at work today? And how did I respond to that work that you were doing? When I saw it, was I joyful? When I saw it, did I respond in prayer for somebody who needed it? How did, how did I respond to the work that I've seen? So that's the examine of consciousness, right? It's, it's, it's looking at God around us. Uh, why do I think this is helpful? Well, I think if, if what Luther is saying is that idolatry is really a posture of the heart, and if I'm not actively looking for how God is showing up in our world... I'll go to lots of other places and lots of other things that seem to be solving the world's problems. And over time, I'll start to put my trust, right, and my faith and my affection into those things because those are the things that I see all the time. Right, so if I'm not regularly, actively looking for God's work, then guess what? It's going to be filled up with all the other things the world tells us is working. So why is it helpful? (laughs) So that we can see God's present active work. Jesus says at the beginning of Mark's gospel, uh, his first sermon, right? The kingdom of God is at hand. Quite literally, if we're going to translate it really, really roughly, it is literally the king-ing, or the, the rule of God, is touchable by your outstretched hand. Right? If we're going to translate it really woodenly, right? The present active rule of God is touchable by outstretched hand. In other words, it is here, and we should be able to see it and hear it and experience it. But our worlds, for those of us who are doing the ruthless summation of hurry, right, our worlds are filled up with lots of other things, lots of other noises, lots of other voices, lots of other things to pay attention to. And if we're not taking time to reflect on just where God's at work, how I've seen it in a conversation with my spouse, how I've seen it in the provision for my kid at school, how I've seen it in a conversation with some neighbor, how I've seen it in an interaction, right? how I've seen it in whatever. The more we see God at work, the more likely it is to continue to put our heart and our trust and our affection in the God who is present. Right? Now, now, we, now we flip the coin over. So that's the, the examine of consciousness, The other side of that coin is the examine of conscience in which we uncover the areas that need cleansing, purifying, and healing. So if I could boil this down, a consciousness is looking outside of us where God is at work and how I respond to it. The examine of conscience now is looking internally to the places in me that I need God to bring healing 
pruning or cleansing or purifying or shaping. Does that make sense? Consciousness is out of us, right? All these things out here. Conscience then is a turn inward to see those places where God needs to work. So consciousness, I wrote it here, right? The the examine of consciousness is the means God uses to make us more aware of our surroundings. God wants us to be present where we are. And so he invites us to see and to hear what is in and around us and through it all to discern the footprints of the holy. Again, that's that reference to Mark 1.15, that his kingdom is touchable. In the examine of conscience, we are inviting the Lord to search our hearts to the depths. And far from being dreadful, this is a scrutiny of love. Now that's a quote from Richard Foster's book. Right? Far from being dreadful, the examine of conscience is actually a scrutiny of love. It's important, Foster says, and I think this is really important for us, to know and believe that when we turn inward, when we begin an examine of our conscience, it's important to know and believe that God goes with us on the search. Why? Two reasons. The first one, if we are the lone examiners of our heart, a thousand justifications will arise to declare our innocence. I'm just going to be really honest, right? If I begin to look at my own failings, self-preservation wins the day. I come up with all kinds of reasons that I chose to do those things or chose not to do those things or to say those things or, or not say those things, right? I come up with all kinds of reasons to justify my own behavior. But since God is with us on the search, we're actually listening more than we are defending. In other words, what Foster means is is we're letting God's Spirit bring into the light the things that we prefer to keep in the darkness. We're listening to the places that God says, I, out of love, want to work on this in you. Or I, out of love, want to bring the healing that you need. The second reason it's really important that God goes with us is because the other end of the spectrum, right, is our tendency for self-flagellation. Our damaged self-image often votes against us and we begin hurting ourselves mercilessly. But with God alongside us, we are protected and comforted. So two ends of the spectrum, right? I can, I can either come up with lots of justifications or when I face the brokenness that's in me, I can beat myself up endlessly. Now, so we need God for both of those reasons. Right? We need God to lead the process. So, so for lots of us, I'm guessing, this is, a, this is a bit more kind of contemplative prayer than most of us are used to probably doing. Because it takes time to just sit, to reflect on the day. It takes time to turn inward and ask where are those places, Holy Spirit, that you want to lead me in your way everlasting. So here's what I want us to do for five minutes. We're gonna try this together, uh, not out loud. <laughs> 
No. Uh, and you're not going to share any of this either. But I, but I do just want us to practice the prayer of examine. So for five minutes, I want you just to think, uh, if it's easy for, easier for you, you can think about your past week, where has God shown up? If you're like, I don't remember what happened two days ago, then don't, don't, don't do all week, do yesterday. That's fine. Or even this morning, where, where have you seen God show up? And here, here's the thing, I don't want you to dismiss something because you think, oh, that's just coincidence. Oh, that's probably not God. Like, just write down those places that prayerfully God leads you to. He says, this, this is God working. And then secondly, you're going to begin to turn just a little bit inward and ask God to search your heart and to lead you to the places where he wants to turn your attention and affection back to him. Now, I want you to write these things. I want you to write them. Because there is something very powerful in naming things. And quite honestly, if they just live in our head and our heart, they continue, right? They continue just to be kind of in the ethereal. But if, if we actually write them down, uh, they become real in a way that they're not in our heads. We're allowed to see them. So I'm going to set a timer for five minutes. That'll make some of you uncomfortable. You extroverts, going to have to rein you in a little bit. All right? You don't get to talk with your neighbor. This is not share time. We're not, we're not sharing the process. You're just doing the process. And then in five minutes, we'll come back. All right? All right, let me start us by praying, and then I'll send you on to five minutes. Good and gracious Father, we're going to try something that probably lots of us don't try regularly. It'd be like me playing cricket. Like, I, I, I don't even know how that works. And yet we trust that you, by your Holy Spirit, can lead this process. And so, Lord... We pray that you would give us eyes to see where you have been at work around us and where it is you want to work in us. So Holy Spirit, lead and guide as you take us through examine. In Jesus' name, amen. Ten seconds. Okay, your time's up. Now, I just want you to look at that list of both things, right? The consciousness of places where you've seen God at work and to just marvel how God has been present to you in lots of ways. That had you not taken five minutes, probably would have passed with everything else in the course of the day. Right, just for five minutes to reflect on the ways that God has been present. And two, to look at that list of conscience the places that God has, by the work of his spirit, brought things left in the darkness into his light. It's places that need his forming and shaping. And to know this, sisters and brothers, that God already sees all those things. And he still calls you son and daughter. 
But like Pastor Adam said last week, God is also saying to us, I love you too much to let you stay the same. I want to see your growth as you get conformed into the image of Jesus as you become a person of love. Now imagine, imagine for just a moment, if you chose to practice this for five days, for a week, what do you think would happen? I'm not asking rhetorically, I really am asking. What do you think would happen? If I just did this for five minutes a day, for five days a week, what do you think would happen? Right. Uh, you'd be more aware of God's presence because you're actually choosing to focus on Him. Yeah, what else would happen, do you think? We'd get this thing that He is always with us. Okay, what else? Yeah. Might make a little bit better world. Yeah. Yeah, Rachel? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you begin to start like I don't have time to write down all the places where I've seen God work. Again, I I I think when we choose to engage in a practice like the prayer of examine, we we really offer to God the opportunity for Him to help us see right His work and His provision. So that our hearts aren't lured away to other gods. Or a God who sees all that we are all the brokenness, all the problems, and still calls us sons and daughters and think, why would we go to any other God who requires my perfection? The challenge for you, the challenge for you is to consider this practice over the course of the week. Now, start where you are. Lots of us have really full schedules. I totally get that. I'm one of them, right? So whether at the beginning or the end of your day or maybe even in the middle of it, if you just paused for a couple of minutes and engaged in this prayer of examine, you can use Psalm 139 as a great way to get in it. Right? Search me, O God, and know me. Try my heart. Lead me in the way everlasting. And I'll be curious to hear what the fruit is next week. Two more things as we get ready to leave. The prayer of examine, I think, produces in us the priceless grace of self-knowledge. A true assessment of who we are, a true assessment of our need for the Christ's work. A St. Teresa of Avila, this is, uh, St. Teresa is a 16th century nun in Spain uh, who lived a very short life but is often considered, uh, I mean, she has sainthood, of course, but uh, really is... Um, um, of all the kind of writers throughout history, her book on prayer <laughs> uh, is considered a classic, right? Written in the 16th century, early 1500s. She says this, this path of self-knowledge must never be abandoned, nor is there on this journey a soul so much a giant that it has no need to return often to the stage of an infant and a suckling. Right. We should never get rid of this prayer of examine. Right, so that we can see God at work and the ways that he brings us into his family. So I want to close with a prayer that comes from probably my favorite prayer.
prayer resource. It's called The Diary of Private Prayer by John Bailey. Uh, if you're interested in it, it's in the footnote. You can go search it. Uh, it's online. You want the edition that was edited by Susanna Wright, unless you really like Old English, and then get the older version. It's lovely. Those of you who grew up on King James might actually enjoy that. Uh, but I think Susanna Wright's version is, is much, uh, it's much easier to get into. Uh, but this, uh, this is from John Bailey, who provides a prayer for every day of the month, both at the beginning of the day and the end of the day, right? A morning prayer and an evening prayer every day. And so I'm going to pray this for us and then give us one uh, other task for next week. Uh, Father, we pray that you would show us our own smallness, but also your infinite greatness. Show us our own sin and your perfect righteousness. Show us our own lack of love and your exceeding love. Yet in your mercy, show me also how small as I am, I can take refuge in your greatness. And how sinful as I am, I can lean upon your righteousness. And how loveless as I am, I may hide myself in your forgiving love. In the name of Jesus, amen. Uh, next week, we're going to dive into commandment number two. We're going to be dealing with names. And so I'd love for you to come back next time. Uh, with any knowledge you have about the meaning of your name, does your name have meaning? Uh, if you got to change your name into something else, what would you change it to? Would you change your name? Why or why not? So I just want you to reflect on, like, this is your name. I, uh, listen, I'm just going to be honest. When I was a kid, I wanted my name to be Steve. I don't know why. I just thought Steve was a cool name, right? It's not, but I really, I really wanted it to be Steve. Or I, I kind of wanted to, like, name my kids Tim but spell it S-T-E-V-E, -E, you know? So people are like, Steve, and you're like, no, it's pronounced Tim, you know? Uh, names are really interesting things, uh, and they, they carry with it meaning. So I want you just to reflect on your own name, its meaning, if you know its meaning. Uh, if you change it, what you would change it to, you can take Steve if you want, all right? And we'll start talking about God's name uh, next week, all right? All right, get out.